uh, your bulletin's wrong, and it's my fault uh, that it's wrong. I'm not preaching on Psalm 3. You need to turn all the way back to Psalm 1. So if you like my Bible, you're going to do just, you know, your head a little bit. Uh, I, this is a, a palate cleanser. John Bridges said it's a saltine cracker. Um, I hope it's a little... He loves saltines, he said, so that was a good thing for him. For me, it sounds kind of bland and, you know, eh, eh, just you know, what you eat when you don't have anything else. Uh, but that, that's what it is. A, a sermon to this morning on, on a psalm is to get us between our uh, series on giving to our Christmas series that will start next week. And I, I like to use the psalms uh, for that. Uh, this series called Songs for Life, because uh, that's what the psalms are um, to to back up just for a second though to our giving series no I'm not going to preach another one uh, on that today uh, I'll give it a few weeks uh, we I, I've, I've been blessed to hear a testimony I'm going to be very vague uh, so that the parties involved uh, don't know what a, you know you can't figure it out but uh, in the midst of the giving series uh, a family in our church felt God leading them to give more to, to something. They didn't know what, and they ended up giving to one of our age-graded ministries. They didn't specify, I don't believe, to whom uh, or who would benefit from, from their giving. Just, hey, we want to do this, and uh, you, you use it as, as you see fit. Well, the, the minister did. And as a direct result of that giving, a child made a decision for Christ. Like, you can make a direct dot to dot to dot to dot to dot line from obedience to salvation. So, as you pray, as you think, you know, oh, I, I, I can't or I won't or this wouldn't be that big a deal, you have no idea why, first of all, God is telling you, to do what he's telling you to do. And secondly, how he's going to use your obedience in that. So I wanted to share that testimony with you of, uh, of what's going on behind the scenes that y'all wouldn't know about. Honestly, I wouldn't have known about if, if I hadn't uh, been, been told by one of our staff. So that's what happens when we're obedient. Now, let's get to uh, Songs for Life, Psalm 1. The reason I, uh, there's a change, I decided this week, after Brittany had already uh, printed the bulletin out, to go with Psalm 1 instead of Psalm 3. About a year ago, I preached on Psalm 2 here. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I preached on Psalm 1 in Nixon, where we came from. And I decided, you know, y'all could go online to watch Psalm 1 if you wanted to, and I don't think any of you did. So, uh, rather than going on to Psalm 3, I decided, well, let's go on and go back and, and cover Psalm 1 again. Got them a little out of order here, but uh, that's all right. So that's, that was the decision. That's why uh, it, it's wrong there in your bulletin, but it's right on the screen. Two ways. Two ways are, is the title of this morning's sermon. Now, let me ask you, and you don't have to answer out the, this out loud because this is going to depend somewhat on where you live, but how do you get to Lake Charles from where you live. Uh, some of you go 27 to I-10. Where we live, we take Prater Road to 610. That's our most common route. 
Uh, or we might take 90 to 10, depending on whether we're going to North Lake Charles or South Lake Charles. What? Dadgummit. Whatever, 610 will take you out of the way. That's the loop around Houston. Yeah, um, that's the wrong direction, folks. I do that all the time. I always say 610. Uh, it's too much time I spent in, in Houston. Well, you know what I mean. We take Prater Road to, Prater Road's a long road, goes all the way to Houston. Prater Road to 210, 90 to 10. Um, you could take the Cameron Ferry, right? I mean, you could get to Lake Charles from here by taking the Cameron Ferry, provided it's running. Uh, sometimes it quits, doesn't it? I'm not going to point to Don, but uh, he, he, he's told me that before that sometimes it quits. Uh, Moss Bluff, you can get there, you know, around the, the, the north way. There are lots of different ways, right, to get to Lake Charles just from here. And, and if we start talking about, oh gosh, I've had to drive to Dallas. Jordan drives to Dallas occasionally, or did, not as much now uh, since his parents moved. How many different ways is it to Dallas from here? Of course, the further away you get, the more uh, choices you have. Well, this morning, we're talking about the fact that there are actually only two ways that we can go in life. And they don't get us to the same direction. We're, we're told often that there are many paths to God. No, there are actually only two paths. One leads to him, and one leads away from him. And that's what we see here in Psalm 1 two ways. Frank Sinatra, probably one of his most famous songs. Musically, it's a great song. Of course, you know, Frank was a great singer, so he could make anything good. But one of his most famous songs was I Did It My Way. He had his one way, and I'm not commenting on his spiritual life or his walk. I'm commenting on the song I Did It My Way is the anthem they sing in hell. They did it their way, and that's where it got them. We have two ways, two options, and we see this in Psalm chapter 1. Read it with me. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Psalm 1 obviously introduces the book of Psalms. Uh, it's the first one. It's the, it's the, uh, the sets the tone for the rest of the book. First, the, the Psalm 1 is actually more of a proverb. It reads a lot like the rest of the Proverbs. Now, it's poetic form, uh, but it still reads much more like a, a, a proverb than a psalm. Just a little information for you about Hebrew poetry, and you may have been told this before over the years. We think of poetry, um, we think of Hallmark Christmas card, uh, Hallmark cards, you know, birthday cards, that kind of thing. That's usually the first, for most of us, the first thing that comes to mind. If we're, if we're real, real special people, we think of Shakespeare. So I don't think of Shakespeare when I think of poetry. Uh, maybe, maybe you love poetry and you think of Robert Burns, or you think of, uh, uh, and I had her name and then lost it, uh, the teenage girl from late 1800s, can't think of her name now. Anyway, doesn't matter. You think of the, some of these. Uh, 
more obscure poets because you love poetry. Well, Hebrew poetry doesn't work that way. Never rhymes. Uh, it's, it's parallelism. Say a sentence. Say a sentence that sounds like it. It's, it's picturesque. Uh, it, it, it uses a lot of imagery. It, it personifies things that, that normally aren't personified. It, it has different rules in our poetry. So when we look at it, we think, oh, it's a, it's a poem, I guess, or it's a song or whatever. But chapter one isn't that sort of song. It's, it's much more a teaching poem, a teaching section. It's setting up the book of, of Psalms, and, and each psalm after this is going to, in some way, exemplify one of the two ways. Now, Psalms, uh, the, the book of Psalms is not necessarily a teaching book, though it does teach, but it's all about praise and prayer and interaction with the Lord and showing the honesty of human emotion in our relationship with God. That's, that's what we see. But in each of those psalms, in, in all of those categories, even among our worship, the psalms show us one of two ways, whether we have chosen uh, the path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. So let's see what this psalm has to say about that. First, uh, first words of verse 1, how happy is the one, happy here in verse 1, that, that word happy is the same word, that is translated in the Beatitudes, blessed. And, and maybe your translation says blessed. How, how happy, how blessed. Now, if you remember the Beatitudes, they're going to talk about things like being persecuted and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and uh, uh, things that we don't think about as necessarily, uh, necessarily being blessings in our lives, and yet... Uh, scripture is clear that those are blessings, that we are blessed, but that we are happy in those things. Even when they are occurring, we find our comfort and our joy and our happiness in the Lord. Psalm is using that same word. Psalm 1 is using that same word, but it is telling us of our happiness that can be found in our obedience. See, the, the, the Bible's clear that that we will be persecuted for our faith, and in those situations, we are, we are to be happy, we are to, to understand that we're blessed. But w whether we're being persecuted or not, we are to be happy in our obedience. We are blessed when we are obedient. We are fulfilled. We find our absolute joy when we are obedient to God. So the psalmist says, Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now here's where Hebrew poetry shines. You have uh, three verbs, walk, stand, sit. Then you have uh, parallel uh, nouns of, of, of location in the pathway, um, oh, well, in the advice in the pathway and in the company and then you have uh, three uh, parallel nouns of, of des uh, description of the people sinners uh, wicked sinners and mockers that is beautiful Hebrew poetry it said the same thing three different ways to to really hammer home the point but it's not just saying the same thing in, in three different ways sometimes it does sometimes uh, the Bible will say something, it'll say something again, and, and there's no 
No difference between the two. Nothing you can really build on. Here, it's pretty clear that what the psalmist is doing is he is building on our ability, uh, building on the description of our ability to walk away from obedience. We see here an increasing involvement with sin. Uh, an increasing involvement with sinfulness. Um, better way to put that would maybe be a progression of comfort in sinfulness. First thing he says is, uh, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Now walking, you, you automatically have this idea, the, the, the image of, I can get out of this at any time, right? If, if I'm in the wrong lane, driving, for example, and the wrong lane is whichever one you are in, and I'm behind you wanting to go faster than you. You're in the wrong lane, whatever lane that is. Uh, if you're in the wrong lane, because of momentum, because of my motion, simple physics, I can change lanes and correct fairly easily, right? It's a lot easier to turn a car that's moving than one that's sitting still. That makes sense? So, if, blessed are you if you don't walk in the way of the wicked. You aren't, uh, you're, you're not even moving through it. That's the image. You're, you're, you're moving through, you're trying this. Uh, you ever been to what, you know, some would call the bad part of a town? You don't sit there too long, you move on through. You, you, you're, you get out of there. Even though you're in the situation, you are moving through it. Blessed are you if you don't even do that, if you never even end up in the bad part of town because there's this idea that you have intentionally chosen that lane at some point. You got in that lane of traffic, you got in that lane of action, that lane of sinfulness by choice. Blessed are you if you never even choose that. But then he says, blessed are you who, uh, who do not walk in the advice of the wicked. But then he says, blessed are you who do not stand. Now we've stopped motion. Now we have progressed in our activity. Now as we stand in the pathway of sinners, we have made it a way of life. No longer are we passing through, no longer are we walking, no longer do we have the easy opportunity to veer away, to get out of the situation. We have stopped. We are contemplating our possibilities here, here in the, way, in the pathway of sinners. There are a lot of choices for me here. When I stop and look around, I see a lot of bad options. But because I'm not moving, because I'm not walking, I, I have the time to spend here. I can spend a little more time. I can, I can think about things, and things begin to look more attractive. I mean, we, we can, you know, it's, it's not the analogy of the Bible because it wasn't written today, but we can use the analogy of sightseeing in a car. Things, zoom, 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 that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty. And that, that, that's all you see, but when you stop, you can really take in those things. Well, if we use that as, as an example for sin, we do the same thing. We, we were walking through. We, by the grace of God, may pass up some things that would 
uh, uh, tease us, taunt us, tempt us, would bring us down, would trap us. But when we stop and we start to look, we really notice those things. And then we begin to see them, really see them, and contemplate them for our lives. The last word he uses, the last verb, or sit in the company of mockers. Now this, you really get the idea. These aren't the most comfortable chairs in the world, but it'll do. You get the idea there's some real comfort with this situation. I can still go somewhere else, right? I'm, okay, no, no, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I can start the walking again. But when I make myself comfortable and at home in the midst of sin, sit back, relax in it. What the Bible's talking about there most likely is the person's, uh, the people, because you're sitting in the company in the assembly of mockers, they are planning now sin. They haven't just stopped and, sta and stood to contemplate the possibilities, but now as they sit among the assembly of the mockers, they are planning and plotting the things that they will do. The sinfulness. The, the uh, I mean, we, we get the, the picture here of a gang or a mob sort of uh, mentality where they sit around and they're just trying to outdo the other on what evil they can commit, whether it's to uh, a, a group or a person or just, just themselves. There's this planning, this plotting. They're comfortable. They're living in sinfulness. That's what we see. It starts off innocent. We were just passing through. We were just looking around. We, we were just examining. But then we stopped, and we really started taking things in. And then we realized we liked what we were seeing. And we set up shop. We made a home in sin, and here we sit now, actually creating opportunities to sin. That's what it's talking about here. That is that progression of comfort in sinfulness. We, but don't, because your joy, your happiness, your blessings, your blessedness is found not in doing those things, but instead, verse 2, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. The Lord's instruction, these are primarily the moral requirements. Psalms wasn't, Psalm 1 wasn't talking about uh, ceremonial laws, doing the right things in the temple. About here, the, the, the moral requirements of living a faithful life. We delight in that instruction. How many people like to be told what to do? Yep. None of us. And yet, for the one who is happy, the one who is blessed, he will delight the same way psalmist later on is going to say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because I've delighted in his instruction. Because I have found my happiness, I have found my security, I have found my hope in obedience. So if I'm obedient to God to begin with, according to the, to the next psalm, the, uh, if I am obedient and, and uh, desire 
instruction or delight in instru- instruction, he will give me what my heart desires. Because my heart will be lined up with his instruction and my only desires will be his desires for me. That's the way that works. These moral requirements, and we as believers must delight in this instruction. The Bible assumes that people will read Scripture, be taught Scripture, memorize Scripture, and then conform their lives to Scripture. The world assumes that we will read Scripture, be taught Scripture, maybe even memorize Scripture, but then conform Scripture to our lives. That's what we want to do. We delight in the instruction of the Lord if it's something we like not doing. We delight in the instruction of the Lord if it's something that we like to do. But if we have an issue with it, if we, but we know somebody who's that way and they're good people, or we, we, uh, I don't do it all the time, or I don't mean it that way, or I, I you know, it, but that person deserved it, or whatever our excuse is, we try to conform Scripture to our lives. And that is not delighting in the instruction of the Lord. That is a delighting in the word, the scripture that I write and edit as necessary to make my life more easy, uh, easier and more comfortable. That's what we do with scripture. See, there are two ways. Either we conform our life to scripture or we conform scripture to our lives. Two ways. Only one is right. So the person who delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night. Uh, if, you, if, if you're scared of the word meditation, don't be. It's okay to meditate. They, transcendentalists and, and, and New Age, and, and I don't even know if it's New Age anymore. I, I don't know what it is now. Uh, the Beatles really you know, brought it home to us in the 60s, right? Uh, this transcendental, don't be scared of meditation. Meditation is good. We are told, read Psalm 119, and how often it says that he meditated on the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. That's a good thing, to meditate, to saturate yourselves in it, to constantly think of Scripture. Hopefully, that's what Scripture's doing. The moral instruction, the, the, uh, uh, the, the Lord's instruction that, you're, that is speaking to you It's something that you're constantly chewing on. And maybe it's because you're not doing a good job at it. Maybe it's because uh, you are doing a good job at it. Maybe it's because you never thought of it that way. Regardless of the reason, meditate on it. Because if you delight in his instruction, you will meditate uh, meditate on it day and night. And if you do, verse 3, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. It bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Tree planted is intentional positioning. Intentionally next to the streams of waters. This may very well be even irrigation canals that they would dig in the desert to get water to where they needed it to be. And and they intentionally planted their crops. We don't need to irrigate too much around here, right? Natural irrigation uh, rains pretty often. But where we came from in South Central Texas, irrigation was very important. They watered their hay fields. I'm not lying. Big, huge sprinklers. 
and would water you know, acres at a time. It's impressive to watch. They had to irrigate, but they were intentional about where they planted things. They, they uh, made sure that everything was within reach of some sort of water source. That's what we have here. Believer, we must plant ourselves in a place where we will be nourished and instructed by God. Too many of us plant ourselves in the assembly of the mockers. This is where we're planted. This is where we sit. We were walking, we stood, we sit, we are planted. We have put down roots. This is a comfortable spot. And what the Bible tells us to do is not plant yourself there, but plant yourself next to the streams of water that will nourish you, where you will grow. Interesting, in the Middle East, harvest season ripening season, the, the most important time for, for fruit trees is also drought season. The most delicate time, the most dangerous time for those trees. So what he says here is when you are planted by the water, by flowing streams, you bear fruit in its season and you do, it does not wither uh, during the drought even though those two things come at the same time. Hear that. Hear that when you have planted your life next to God in his fertile valley, whatever image you want to take, when you are next to him constantly, you will always bear fruit no matter the season, no matter the, the climate, no matter the weather patterns, no matter the storms that do or don't come in your life. You will always bear fruit because you will always be planted by the source. Planting yourself among the mockers will never grow you as a Christian, ever. As a matter of fact, we will see in a few minutes what the end is. But fruit and drought show up at the same time. There, there are some plants that do best when they're dry. They need water at a certain time uh, early on, but as they mature... It has to be dry for, the, for it to be harvested, for them to uh, uh, grow to their fullest. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, cotton is one of those crops. You want it wet to begin with, but don't have a rainy, uh, rainy harvest season when, when the cotton is ready to come in. You want it dry. You, you, you can drown it. You can ruin the crop with too much rain at the wrong time. Sometimes... Droughts aren't good for the crops. I've seen stands of corn burn up and be completely gone because of no rain and no irrigation. But that, we are not corn, we are not cotton, we are God's children. We are trees planted by Him. And we will produce fruit at all times if we are connected to the source it's like a tree planted beside flowing streams, bears fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Y'all remember Lost in Space, right? TV show from, oh, long time ago, the robot, Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson. You, you, let, that should go off in your head when you see prosper. Because we're very quick. I can, I can name some preachers this morning that if they preached on this passage, they would focus just on that verse for the 45 minutes that they preached. And they would talk about how you will prosper and you will do this and you will do that and you're, you'll have money and you'll have all these things. That is not prosperity biblically. 
That is not the kind of prosperity it's talking about. First of all, prosperity is always in the Bible dependent upon obedience. So let's begin there. If you aren't obedient, you will not prosper. Now, if you go back and read Proverbs, and, and you should have by now, and you say, wait a minute, wait, the, the evil prosper, it talks about that. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's why we don't define prosperity the way the world does. Spiritually richest people may be economically poorest. And economically richest people may be spiritually poorest. Those two things aren't necessarily uh, uh, water and oil to each other, but it can happen that you can be poor and blessed. You can be poor and happy because you can be poor and still prosper according to God. See, prosperity is defined by God's economy. Prosperity is defined not by the amount of money in the bank, but about the amount of faith in your heart. The, it, it, prosperity is defined by how you respond and react to what he's doing in your life. Prosperity is defined by the fact that you produce fruit, spiritual fruit, by being planted by streams of waters, by being planted by God, by g tapping into the only source that you can ever need, and you will produce fruit. That is prosperity. That is biblical prosperity. Biblical prosperity is I am growing every day to be like Christ. Bank accounts and real estate, stocks and bonds, and those sorts of things, those don't define prosperity. Even success has many definitions. You know, as a pastor, success is, is difficult to define. And, and, and the world and, and the church has, has many different definitions of a success. A, a church is successful if they're growing, right? If, if more people are coming than are leaving, that church is successful. Eh, maybe. Maybe not. Success is baptizing seven people on a Sunday morning, which we did a couple of weeks ago. That's success. Success is having teenagers make decisions for Christ at the Youth Evangelism Conference in Lafayette last week. That's, that's success. Success is seeing 85 third, fourth, and fifth graders wear uh, T-shirts that say Kids Beach Club on the front and making Jesus cool at school on the back every Monday, carrying Bibles to school, reading their Bibles at school. That's success. See, success is defined much differently in the Bible than anywhere else. Success in the Bible is defined as faithfulness. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does is successful. Whatever he does is prosperous and successful because it is based on his dependence on God and nothing else. Not on how the world defines it. But verse 4 tells us about the wicked. That was the, the faithful. That is the one who doesn't walk and stand and sit and, and sin, but delights in the Lord. The wicked, though, going back to those who do stand, sit, uh, walk, stand, and sit in, in the presence of sinfulness. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff. No success. It's nothing that lasts. 
They don't prosper. They don't, they don't grow spiritually. You know what chaff is, right? When they, uh, when they brought in the harvest, they would put the grain in a pile, and they had a pitchfork, and they would take the scoop of, of uh, everything, throw it up in the air, and the kernel, being heavier than everything else, would fall back down, and the chaff would blow away. The husk, the little bits of uh, stalk and leaves, and anything that wasn't necessary. And you do this long enough, throwing this stuff up in the air, and eventually what you have then is just grain that falls. The rest of the stuff is blown away. And what do we do with that? <laughs> Nothing. Waste. It's done. It's fertilizer now. It's, it, it burns. It's, 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 uh, it's trash. There's no success. There's, there's nothing that lasts. But believers, you can produce chaff. Believers can produce chaff. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. There will be a judgment for believers. Believers. A judgment of our works, a judgment of our activities. Our, our faith will be judged as well. Our belief in Jesus Christ will be judged, uh, as a, but that's a pass-fail thing. But we will be graded on our works as believers. Verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So we've got to all begin at Jesus. And if we begin with another foundation other than Jesus, or we add to the foundation of Jesus, then we do not have the solid foundation. It's not Jesus and, because then you're mixing your, your uh, concrete and something else, and you're not going to get good concrete. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, or stubble, or chaff, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Believers, what are you producing? Believers, are you walking in the way of sinners, in the pathway of sinners? Are you, are you standing in, in the pathway uh, of sinners, walking in the way of the wicked, standing in the pathway of uh, sinners? Have you sat down among the assembly of the mockers? You are producing chaff. You are not successful as a Christian. You are producing what will be burned up. And if you live a life of doing that, you may be saved, but it'll be by the skin of your teeth. That's what it's saying. You have the foundation, but you have built nothing on that foundation because you have been building with wood, hay, stubble, chaff, and not with gold, silver, and precious jewels. Believers, you can produce, don't, don't just think, oh, yeah, them bad people, them people, no, 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 Jesus, they're, they're, they're chaff. No, you can be just as chaffy as they are, depending on whether or not you choose to be obedient 
Because remember, we're talking about obedience here. Choose them two ways. Verse 5 continues to tell us about the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteousness. They will, uh, the righteous. They will ultimately destroy themselves. Verse 5 tells us. It's, it's this image of a human court that he's using to explain a heavenly court to what, uh, to what will go on. Those who stood in the path of sinners stood up and you know, were seen will not stand in the judgment. They will have no opportunity to present themselves, to, to make an argument or anything like that. They will not experience salvation. And lest you think that I have suddenly decided that you can earn your salvation by your works, no, I have not. They will not earn their damnation by works, but by the wrong path which led to unchecked sinfulness. Now, our sin does earn damnation, but every one of you in here has earned your damnation many, many times over. And it's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you will not experience that damnation. So you certainly are condemned for your works, but it is not just their works that do it. It is their lack of faith, their lack of faithfulness. Not by works, but by the wrong path that they chose. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, <clears throat> 13 through 14. He said, it's a wide gate and a broad road that leads to destruction. In Houston, Beltway 8 is a toll road. And those toll booths are fun if you have the speed pass. Or whatever it's called. The, uh, the, the little sticker on your windshield so you don't have to stop. They're fun because you don't have to slow down. And they're fun because they're narrow. And if you're a little crazy, like me, you enjoy, you know, shooting that gauntlet. It feels like, uh, feels like when uh, the Millennium Falcon was coming out of the Death Star and Return of the Jedi after they blew it up the second time, and the flames behind it. You know, I have lots of fun zoom, zipping through there. But most people aren't like that. Y'all want nice wide gates, something easy to get to, through, wide streets, wide roads. That's what the world's way looks like. That's what the path of the wicked looks like, is what Jesus says. It looks good. It looks easy. Well, wow, this would be so much better, when in fact, no, that is not the better way. The better way is a narrow gate and a difficult road. It's bumpy, it's, 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 and bumpy doesn't even describe it. Come, come hunting with me one time out on the deer lease where we go. I'll show you a bumpy road. There's no fun in a bumpy road. It, it, there's no joy in it, it would seem. And yet, what we find is we, will, uh, we delight in the Lord's instruction. We delight in that narrow gate and that difficult road. See, there are two ways and only two ways. The last verse, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. God is present. God's present everywhere. But God, God's presence isn't experienced everywhere. The Lord watches the, the, the righteous. He watches over their way. A, a life of obedience to God ensures a life of guardianship by God. 
If we are being obedient, he will not let us fall. Sunday school reference. And he will give angels charge over you. The temptation of Jesus at that point was, will you have faith to, for, for, for God to protect you? Because they had an inkling. They knew what Jesus was there for. <clears throat> so will you trust God? Will you really believe he's going to take you through what you're going to go through in three years and, 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 and get you out on the other side? Tell you what, Jesus, why don't you just try it now? Just jump off. I just, just jump off the cliff. The Bible says angels will catch you. And he says you don't test God. You, you have the faith to believe when all the evidence seems to the contrary. But you don't say, all right, God, I want to believe, but just to be sure I can believe, I'm going to do this and expect you to protect me. That's generally when you end up on your face. See, the, the truth is, in, in your satisfaction, uh, or rather, in your sanctification, in your striving for holiness, you are not alone. When you plant yourself by the streams of water, when your source is God, you are not alone in holiness. You will be lifted up. You will be encouraged. You will be brought along. You will bear fruit in the midst of a drought. The opposite side of that, though, is the way of the wicked. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The implication is he doesn't watch over the way of the wicked. Now, he knows everything, he sees everything, but he is, his, his presence is not felt. He's not working in the life of the way of the wicked. God is absent from the way of the wicked by the wicked's choice. Again, not to comment on anyone's uh, salvation, but uh, David Cassidy died here a few days ago. 67 years old, if you don't know who David Cassidy is, Partridge family, I think that's the biggest thing he did, uh, died at uh, 67 years old. His, his daughter shared what his last words were before he died. So much wasted time. Now, I don't know his spiritual standing. I, I, I wouldn't dare to make that determination, but I do know that if we are not living for the Lord, it is so much wasted time. Our, our actions, our works will be wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned up someday. So much wasted time. If we choose the path of the wicked, the pathway of the sinner, the, 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 accompany, the, the company of the mockers, it is so much wasted time that we could have spent living for the Lord. The wicked have wasted their time. They, they have refused God's existence and his assistance. And when they, get, when they die, they get their wish. They don't want God in life. He will not force himself on them in death. They will have chosen their way. They will have made the path of the wicked their direction in life. Folks, there are two ways. And the way, the way, as in the way, the truth, 
and the life leads to the right way? Do you want to lead the path or walk the path of the righteous, delighting in the Lord's instructions, tree planted by the waters, watched over by the Lord, bearing fruit? Then it begins, by, it begins with a decision to follow the way. You must choose to follow Jesus. You will not be a righteous person without Jesus. You might be a moral person. You might look okay to some people, but it will not be righteousness. It will be false righteousness. It will be uh, uh, cultural moralism that sends you to hell. Without Jesus Christ, you cannot follow the correct way. There is only one way. That way begins with understanding that God is holy and just and will judge sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He will not tolerate sin. He is patient with us for now, but the day will come when he will judge it. And when he judges it, we will all be in line for that judgment because we are sinfully, uh, willfully sinful and fallen. We have chosen to reject him, and we continue to choose to reject him. Some of you have sat through church for years and years and years, and you've heard this gospel message so many times, you could probably quote it, yet you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have willfully said, I'm fine, I can do it on my own, I'll make it, I hope I'll make it, I'm a good person, someday I'll do it, but your some days are running out. You are willfully sinful and fallen. You're destined for everlasting torment and judgment in a Christless hell, in a godless hell. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came, died on a cross for your sins and in your place so that you could experience salvation. And to prove it, he rose three days later, saying, I have defeated death, therefore I have defeated sin, and you then must only repent of your sin, trust Christ, Place your faith in him for salvation, and then live for him. Turn from your old life and turn to Jesus. That is the one way and the only way to walk the one way. Will you do that this morning? Pray with me. Father, thank you that if we will listen, if we will pay attention, the ways are clear. Our choices are obvious. There are but two ways. Lord, I thank you for those who have taken the way of righteousness. They have trusted Jesus as their Savior. They live for you, certainly. We fail, we sin, we stumble. But Lord, we have experienced salvation and we are on the path of righteousness. But Lord, I pray for those that have willfully chosen not to follow you. Have willfully not chosen Jesus Christ and they are on the path of the wicked whose end is judgment and destruction Lord I pray for their hearts today that you would speak to them you would draw them you would do the work that you do that leads us to salvation and they would respond in faith today Lord Jesus for believers I pray that we would set our roots, roots deep transplant ourselves if we must but get closer to the source of water the source of uh, of refreshment of encouragement of guidance leave behind the chaff of our sinfulness 
respond in faith, work with gold, silver, and jewels in our lives so that they may last into eternity. God, as we come to this time of response, may you do a work in every heart this morning. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you respond this morning? Do you need to accept Christ? Trust Him? Do you need to follow in obedience and baptism? Do you need to join our church? Do you need to give something to Him this morning? Do you need to give the chaff over to Him and say, Lord, I want to produce gold, silver, and jewels in my life? Are you flirting with the path of destruction, even as a believer, and you want help this morning to change paths? God is waiting, He's willing, and He will lead you and help you. I'll be down here to pray with you. I'm going to stand over there in that corner. If you'd like me to pray for you, if you'd like me to pray with you, come on. If you'd like to, more information about trusting Jesus, come on. I'm going to ask Tom to go stand in that corner, and if you would, tr- uh, would like to pray with him, that's fine. We're not the focus. That's why I'm moving it to the sides. God is the focus of this time as we stand and we do business with him this morning.